0: Like we said, this is a movement a couple of years ago, and this cannot be a conference. It can't be a meeting. It can't be something we hear and think that was wonderful. It has to be something that God puts into our spirit because I believe there's a change in the wind and that God's going to... He wants to make every person in here contagious with a revelation of purity, a revelation of healing. Uh, if, if you're broken, He wants to heal you. If you're healed, He wants to release you. And, uh, you know, when you deal with leaders, it's, there's, we're starting to deal with leaders more and more, and we're talking to them, and we're saying, listen, you know, it's, this is a peculiar message. It's not like a message on the Holy Spirit. You can go to a Holy Spirit conference, and it's like, in one sense, I mean, the Holy Spirit will convict you and deal with you, but you can go to maybe a worship conference or a, a conference that, that doesn't maybe reach as personally and as deeply as the area of sexuality. Because everyone here is dealing with sexuality. Look at some of the most famous men and women in the world have failed here. They have achieved the greatest heights, but they were unable to, to harness the reality of what they needed to control this powerful gift from God. And their lives went down in destruction because of it. Some of our heroes, we love them, and we're not gonna. We don't want to list their names to shame them. We we need to pray for them that God will resurrect them and restore them to a, the former place that God had them in. Some of you are restored. How many restored ones do we have? Or that you at one time in your life in this area you were broken and you thought, "I'm done. It's not ever gonna. It's never gonna get better." Any restored ones here? there's a few in the audience, you know, I mean, think about it, I mean, this is, and so God uses the restored ones, but, you know, it's leader, it's always a leadership issue, we always start with, and, and it, like personal, you know, if you're going to deal with sexuality, it's personal, but you can't, you can't be a messenger of this, you can't carry in the, you can't walk and lead in the movement unless you let this become personal, so what's personal, live the message, You have to live the message. You can't can't carry the message without living the message. It's impossible. And if you are unable, if there's brokenness and some kind of compromise, there's any, you won't, you can't speak the message. It's going to be very difficult. You need to embrace personal healing, forgiveness, and restoration. Can't give away what we're not walking in. Content is another, you know, in the other area. You got personal, you have content. We got to know the message. You know the world is cramming the sexual message, the lies of the sexual message, down our throat 24/7. I mean, you, how many? They say there's thousands of images. I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a numbers guy, but you know the, the how many? You know we're, we're inundated with it. You know, internet, television, billboards, magazine rack, you name it. You know, wherever it's just it's constant. And we have to know the message. We're gonna, God's gonna begin to release and challenge us to begin to take some time to get more of a revelation on this. Paul challenged Timothy to study, to show himself approved and to begin to embrace that. And method, you know, we just need to release the message. How many leaders we got here that have responsibility over people's lives? You would say in some sense you're influencing somebody's life on a one-on-one mentoring or in a small group or a Sunday school or an elder or in a a home group or you're a youth leader uh, team with a small group of girls or guys or a youth pastor or a staff pastor or a pastor in a church. How many have some kind of influence that way? Can I encourage you? Part of the revolution, part of this movement is that you need to prepare a sexual message. You need to find one of your favorite stories, something you've heard, and it doesn't have to be original. Listen, it just has to be in your heart. Forget originality. God is not after, he's not interested in in an original message or he wouldn't have given us this beautiful book (laughs) because this book's been around a while and it's got power in it and you just need to get in here and find something that touches your spirit. I mean, you know the prodigal son story. I mean, has that touched your spirit? you know about David, you know about Bathsheba, how about Samson, how about, I mean, come on, how about Joseph, how about Esther in the harem? You find a message that touches your heart and you release it to those you care about and you watch what happens to their lives. Because what we don't want to do in this ministry is say that that Jim or somebody else has this exclusive uh, ability. What you need to do is take this God's message Take this, God's message, and let it touch your heart. Let it, let it move through you. Let it purify your heart, heal your heart, restore your heart. Then begin to take it and begin to give your mind and heart to it. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, content, know the message, and then release it. As you begin to release it, you will see the very same things that we have been privileged to see in the different nations of the earth, around the corner in our own city and everywhere we go. It is God's work. It is God's anointing. It is Jesus Christ, the living God in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's going to see this thing become uh, part of the DNA. It's really part of the church. It was always part of the church. It's unfortunate we have to talk about restoring this to the church, because the church always moved with purity. The, the old, the, in the Old Testament, God's people always dealt with a sexual God, with, with sexual false gods, Baal and Asherah. In the New Testament, the church was born in the, in the sex-saturated Greek and Roman world, and they dealt with a Diana or an Artemis. And the church thrived in the middle of that. They thrived in it. It wasn't You think, oh, the church is going to be defeated. It's going to be horrible. How are they going to do it? No, because purity was part of it. We've got a generation that wants power. They want passion. They want prayer. They want purpose. They want praise. But, you know, we have to link purity to those young people who are so being touched by God right now. If we don't link purity, you know, 50 years from now, when they look at what was going on in our culture and what were the messages that were being preached to produce the revival that hopefully they'll be looking back at, There's going to have to be a message of purity, a thread of purity, because God wants to raise up a rebuttal and a refutation to the lies of the enemy and the darkness that are being loosed upon a generation to destroy them. And We do not want to be a Davidic generation. When I say that, now listen, we, we are going to be a different, you know, I love, we love David, but when I say that, that I'm afraid we could be like a Davidic generation, the bad side of David's story because you read about David and you see David did well and he fell. Horrible things. I mean, unbelievable. And, you, and then you look at David's, the downflow in David's life. And his son rapes, rapes his stepsister. Like it goes from David, it gets, it's getting worse. It's like, what's happening here? What's been loosed here generationally and And we don't want the shame, I'm talking kind of my age, but you know, every generation can happen this way. Shame locks you up. And I'm thinking, David, didn't you talk to your son? Didn't you, didn't you want to, how come you didn't want to protect your daughter and train your son to treat women the right way? Like, what happened, David? And all I can think is David let the shame of his failure with Bathsheba disqualify him from speaking to his son and training his son and protecting his daughter. That's all I can come to. But we're not gonna do that, see? We're not gonna, we're, gonna be a, we're not gonna be a Davidic generation that wants to worship God and then let that disqualification silence us. But we're gonna worship God and God is gonna heal and restore us and equip us. We're gonna move through it personally. We're gonna receive the content from God. We're gonna begin to release the message ourselves and we're gonna let the burden break our hearts and we're going to be a generation that worships God and then we're going to speak to the next generations about this very area and we're going to see a we're going to see a generation of purity come forth and there's nothing quite like being broken and feel feeling hopeless and trapped in whatever kind of in this we don't get too specific about the different kinds of sexual sin. We just deal with sexual sin. It's all sexual sin. God is God deals with sexual sin. We have different varieties, but it's sexual sin, and he calls, us, he calls us to repentance, period. We're not gonna pick on anyone. He calls everyone to repentance. He calls everyone to purity. It doesn't matter, because God calls us to himself. Out of our sin, to himself, we can respond to him. We can step into that place and be cleansed, no matter who we are, what we've done, where we've been. We gotta let the, the last one is the burden. We let God, the message break our heart. Let the message break our heart. One of my favorite scriptures is, and I, I don't know if I, meant, I can't remember if I mentioned that last year. But repetition's a good thing, right? Amen. They say you gotta hear it seven times. So if you hear a verse that you've heard before or something you've heard before, you can say, "Lord, I've heard it again." Now I Amen. man, it's, it, I. I I know what he's gonna say next, that's great. Take that to those who, who you're, gonna, you're gonna train, okay? This cannot be something we've heard and forget. This has to be in our toolbox. There are people who are functional in the world. They are getting up every day, they're putting their pants on, their socks on, their shoes on, their shirts on, their coat on, they're going to where they need to go to school or work or some place and they are functional but they're not whole and they are carrying levels of shame and hurt and brokenness that are paralyzing them. And if we have the ability and the courage to speak to them in this arena out of a restoration in our own lives, we are gonna see something happen. We're gonna see a movement in a harvest in a generation that will surprise us. And I believe we're gonna see more and more a sexual component in the gospel that we've been called to preach to a generation because we're calling a generation away from the worship of pleasure and sexual experience because of their brokenness, because of their family brokenness. They're seeking something, some connection, some closeness, some personhood to make up for that that wounding, that brokenness. And it's, it doesn't work unless we do it the right way. This is not, it's never been a message that sex is bad. It's, it's the wrong message. We sent the wrong message. Right. We've tried to train a generation. Sex before marriage is bad. Sex, is, and it, it shortens to sex is bad. And then, then there's confusion. Sex is God's beautiful gift, but it's in a certain place. We have fire for a fireplace. We have sex in the sex place, and God calls the sex place marriage. (laughs) That's what he calls it. I mean, that's what, and I love, I love the scripture, a righteous man falls seven times. I mean, I'm we're talking about the mercy of God and the grace of God. And I said, what's that, what's that verse about? A righteous man falls seven times. That's like the craziest verse in the world. A righteous man falls seven times. It's not an invitation to Failure. A righteous man falls seven times. time. It's not an invitation to failure. It's a value statement that Jesus Christ is worth getting up for no matter how many times we failed, no, no matter no, how, how much shame we have, how much failure we have, how much repeated failure we have. The Lord is worth getting up for if you have failed. Who has not failed here is the real question. We've all failed here. Has anyone not failed sexually in this room? At some point in your life, you got up and said, Lord, you're worth getting up for. I'm not staying back here in failure. I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna let you cleanse me. It's, it's humbling. Isn't it great we get a dose of humility also with our pre- repentance? It's a built in. It's built in to the kingdom of God. We need it. Sometimes I think he gave us this area of sexuality to ensure there'd be a level of humility in the body of Christ that would be requisite of the treasure that we're carrying to release to people. And the only way we get it is through this process of of, of battling, walking through, and embracing the spirit of purity in our lives that he wants to give us. I'm thinking about the story of David. I love the story of David. We love David. I mean, how many, you got heroes? Everybody got heroes. The heroes of the faith, you know, we've got the heroes of the faith. Who do you like? You know, you can, everybody can, I like Esther. I like them all, man. i I have the privilege of preaching a bunch of messages over and over again. So I love, I feel like I know these people. I'm, I do. I, I'm, I'm in their skin. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about him so much. I'm thinking, like, little Esther, what was it like for her to go into this harem full of the Radio City Rockets? you know? Hey, king, coming to you tonight. It's really gonna be something else. You know, because the girls are gonna go to the king. They got their number. They're, they're taking their turn to go one night with the king. What does that sound like? That's every, that's like every, Dorm every hookup. One night I got my one night with the king to wow him. Maybe he'll want to stay with me. Maybe I can give him all I got and he'll like me, maybe enough to stay with me. What a tragedy! What a tragedy that a daughter thinks she has to give herself to a man and wow him with a sexual experience, and maybe a friendship will grow out of it. What a tragedy! So I think about a little Esther daughter who's a little Jewish girl that goes into the spirit of the harem. Think about it. And because of the glory of God in her life, she changes the atmosphere of the harem instead of the harem changing her. God wants to raise up some Holy Spirit daughters and a Holy Spirit Esther daughter of the church to walk right into the culture of the harem to change the atmosphere of our nation. That's us, a redeemed bride who's dealing with sexuality responsibly enough that we are whole as the church. We will not be whole unless we talk about sex. Amen. Period. We think we're gonna get osmosis. it gonna drop out of the heaven. It has to be preached and there has to be a rebuttal to the demonic spirit that's lying to young people and middle-aged people and granny and grandpa too. The lies are different. It says granny and grandpa, you can't be an influence of sexes for somebody else, some other. Sex is not about young people. It's about people. It's about moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. If I had a dollar for every grandma that says, my 13-year-old daughter, what can I do to help her? I'd be a millionaire. And God wants to equip grandmas and grandpas. He wants to equip moms and dads and he wants to heal a generation and raise up a multi-generational church of purity and power to, to, re, to refute and, re, and to create a rebuttal against that lying spirit. And we don't have to work too hard, folks, because the lie of the culture says if it's like frosting, we've, you've heard this before, that you get a biggest bowl of frosting as you can with as many people as you can. You, 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 if sex is like frosting, you get the biggest bowl of frosting you can and eat as much frosting as you can as many ways as you can with as many people as you can. And if you eat lots of frosting, your life will be filled with happiness and joy. And you'll be skipping down the street and, you know, and, and your eyes will be sparkling and a smile on your face and hair blowing in the wind and you will have a frosting life because life is about frosting more all the frosting you can get get involved in sex people is what the culture says isn't that the frosting message come on how many know how many went ahead and said I'll buy that I'm going to I'm going to get my bowl of frosting and you jumped in or you watched your friends it's not going to be hard to, to, to refute this lie because God put a conscience in, a, in, in people and when they, when they go against the grain of how they were designed by God, it creates conflict inside. If you are feeling conflict on any level due to sexuality, may God's grace may, may the gentle grace of God draw you to his loving mirror of His truth. So you can begin to look and say, Lord, why is there conflict inside me? What is happening inside me? There there won't be conflict. There's a peace of God that wants to come when we align ourselves with God's creation and how he designed this gift of sexuality. And there are broken people waiting. You won't have to argue with them if you just begin to have an answer for them and hear their hearts. God wants to restore him. So I got that was a that was a rabbit trail on heroes because I mentioned Esther. If I do that too many more times, I'm going to be really in big trouble. <laughs> but there's Joseph and there's just so many beautiful find one of those stories and preach a message that calls people to a purity and raise some of those issues and watch God's miracles happen. God wants to attend to his word. He promises to attend to his word. We just have to believe that if we attend to his word and release his word, he'll do what he says he will do. With healing and deliverance and restoration, he will do it. He's gonna do it tonight. How many, how many feel it in the atmosphere? How many are already feeling something stirring in your own spirit? There will be people tonight that will walk out different tonight. God's gentleness is going to come and break shame. There are going to be shame from 30 years broken tonight. There's historical shame that has been been sitting in your gut for years. And there's stuff that's only a week old. It's starting to get its claws in you. It's only one week old. But you know what? That gets to be gone. That gets to be... You can send that down the river tonight. You can not let that get its foothold. So why do we love David? You know, do we love David? We love David. Why do we love David? We love David's spirit, don't we? This Goliath, go get Goliath's spirit. It's what we're talking about, actually. Isn't it interesting that the the guy we love that went after that spirit, that Philistine that was mocking God's people? Can you can you imagine the scenario where that where he's mocking? They're lined up and they're kind of like these two armies and every day it says the Goliath came out and he, he kind of mocked God's people. And, and, and the church, the, the God's people got out in, in battle array and they, they shouted the war cry, but then nothing happened. It was kind of like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. There's the war cry of, of, of the army, you can read it. The war cry, kind of like, wait a minute, the war cry is supposed to follow with the assaults. Let's go get them. Let's go get them. We don't want to do the war cry. The war cry of the worship, the war cry of the presence, the war cry of God, his spirit coming down and his people then to loose us into the world. That's it. The church never was born to exist for itself. The church was always to lay her life down like her Lord to serve into the world. That's that beautiful challenge. Man, do we love it? I love I'm a church guy, man. Ever since I was 19, I've been a church guy my whole life. And I love God's people. God's equipping his people to do that. We love David because David, I, I, I just I wrote this down because this is his spirit. Your servant was with his father's sheep. He's talking to, to Saul. Because Saul said, David, do you think you can do this? And he goes, so David's talking to Saul, saying, I can do this. There's somebody mocking God. There's something God, there's someone mocking, think about it, I'm thinking like there's somebody's God, there's somebody mocking God's gift of sexuality. There's someone mocking marriage. There's someone mocking purity. There's someone m- mocking the identity of men and women in the earth. There's something mocking God's created order and design. We have any David's, Miss David's, whatever you want to call a female David. Are there any of those out there, married Davids and their wives, or Mrs. Davids and their married husbands? You know what I'm talking about. Are there, any, are there any, anyone with the spirit of David? When a lion and bear came and took the lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued him from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Since he has taunted the armies of the living God. There is a spirit that is taunting the beauty and the sacredness of sexuality and marriage in the earth. That's why we're here. We're breaking the sound here saying it's over. It doesn't have it, it's. It's done. We're not going to be ever silent again. We're going to get into the con- Join the conversation. We're joining the conversation, folks. You want to join the conversation? <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> we're joining the conversation because the church, God has called the church to speak. God said, let there be light, and there was light. If we will speak what is in the Word, we will see the results of the Word of God. In people's lives, there is healing and restoration and deliverance. There is sound thinking for young men who you think your mind is so polluted. There is a Spirit of God that can renew your mind and set your thinking straight. He can take the memories and the imprints of what you have looked at in secret and begin to rewire your brain. And daughter, he's the only one that can put the petals back on the flower that the devil has torn off. And daughter, listen to me, there is not a wilted flower section in the kingdom of God. That's the devil's greatest lie. Impurity is more than the history of your body. Did you hear what I said? Dear sons and daughters who have failed. Purity is more than the history of your body. It's about what your heart wants. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. God asks you one question every morning you wake up. He's saying, What do you want today, dear son or daughter yes, right. for your life? Yeah. I invite you to join me in my kingdom as we go forward. That's exciting. this Philistine will be like them. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. We like that about David. We like David dancing about the return of the ark. Remember he danced and he didn't have any athletic equipment or whatever. He he just, they called him jock straps in junior high. So he embarrassed himself was the point. He he supposedly was just dancing, you know, and they didn't wear shorts. They wore those shirts that were like. I'm not going to say it. I, I'm not saying it. He, uh, and maybe we maybe we identify with David's pain. The pain of rejection from his dad. You know, the it was a big deal when you when the, when this prophet came to say, "I'm going to anoint a king." So make sure all your boys are there. It's kind of like, it'd be like a giant, like a wedding or a super celebration. I mean, this this is a thing. This is like a formal. I mean, it may have been last minute. Like Samuel's coming to town, he's going to take care of some God business here. Make sure everybody's here supposed to be here. Oh, and Jesse, by the way. I, I want your family there because one of your boys is going to get anointed. <laughs> so you think Jesse would think, man, I'm going to get all my boys there. Absolutely. And he gets there, and one of his sons, you know, he, the prophet's saying, I'm not seeing the one God told me about. Uh, are there any others? Are are Are, are all the children here? And you see this thing unfolding, this strange thing unfolding. So you have this sense that, that maybe David was an illegitimate son of Jesse that he was trying to hide as a, as a hired hand on the mountain as a shepherd. Maybe that's what Psalm 51 is when he says, In, in sin did my mother conceive me. Is it possible that David wrote about his own mother who was not the mother of his brothers and that Jesse had failed sexually himself? No wonder David was like this, this young man. I loved, We love David. Well, let's look at his story because David failed He failed. It's one of the greatest failures in the Scripture. We we don't love David because he makes an excuse for us. We love David because of the mercy that God showed him. That's why we love David, this mercy that he shows us. Let me just read it. We'll make some comments. It's It's a horrible story. It's one of the most tragic stories in the Bible. David and Bathsheba. We've never really preached this message before, I thought. We know about it. We, everybody knows David and Bash. We, we don't think about what it represents. Let me just read the, the scripture to you. Then it happened in the spring at the time. This is a 2 Samuel chapter 11. It happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Aban and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Starting to get, is this progressively, watch the progression, because sin always progresses. Sin always progresses. Sin will always take you farther than you wanted to go, It will cost you more than you wanted to pay and it will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. That's how sin always is. It starts with a lie, an allurement, seemingly innocent. She was beautiful in appearance. David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. This has got all the stuff of like modern day relationships in it. We could throw a a morning after pill in here or a, a chemical abortion in here, or a trip to the clinic, or it's right here. I am pregnant. David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is the husband of Bathsheba. He wants him to come back. So Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab, and the people, and the state of the war. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. Now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay stay here today also and tomorrow I'll let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David called him and he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. David made Uriah drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Now in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it by the hand of Uriah he had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in front in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. How many know that David fled from Saul for about 13, I think it's maybe 13 years, running after he was anointed, running and in the caves, and he had a band of men with him. How many know he had a band of men with him, his, his mighty men? You know, Uriah was one of his mighty men. Uriah was one of his mighty men. One of the guys that was with him through all that junk, in the caves, on the, fleeing for their lives. Uriah. One of his guys. Let me finish reading this. Verse 26 says, Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead she mourned for her husband when the time of the morning was over David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and she bore him a son but the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord you, know, you think about this I'm just going to read it and make some comments and You know what said David was a man after God's own heart. It says that in the New Testament. So that, that's kind of a New Testament quote of an Old Testament scripture. Kind of, you think, well, Lord, you must have said that before he did this. You must have said this before he did this. But the New Testament in Acts 13, it says he was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. The Lord, in, 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 in the Old Testament, in, in, it says the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. So we've got a re- reference to before this happened, and then this a back glance from the New Testament. And then you've got Hebrews, Hebrews 13 or 11 talks about the hall of faith. You ever heard of the hall of faith, all the heroes? 11.32 says, what more shall I say? It's listing all these by faith, by faith. But what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, I think, Samson, what are you doing in there? No, you could think that. You could think that. Say, but we don't understand God's mercy. Because I look at it and I think, wait a minute. These are the most broken servants who found a mercy and found an intimacy with God through their failure. Where are my restored ones again? To whom whom is forgiven much, what? Come on, come on, where are my restored ones? Stand up for a second. Where are my restored ones? You were restored. Think about where you would have been. Think about who you were. Come on, my restored ones. You can sit down, Mike. Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. David's right there. David, wait a minute. So let's look, at, let's look at it for a few minutes. It says David, it says at the time when kings go out to battle, I think about a leader like David stopped getting his hands dirty I don't know how else to say it I don't leaders are supposed to grow and delegate and share the load and release to the next generations you know but there's a little part of every leader that I believe needs it sounds really the wrong it's saying it the wrong way to keep your hands dirty because working with God's people is one of the greatest privileges on the earth so it's not really getting your hands dirty but like, if work is like getting your hands dirty, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, like stay with the sheep, stay with the people. Let, let Look at, get with a boy who doesn't have a dad. Get with a daughter who never knew her father. Get with a single mom. And you, you weep with them and talk with them and be around them and let it break your heart. Let the burden break your heart. Be a Nehemiah who just heard about Jerusalem, and he mourned and wept for days. Let that go deep in your spirit. And I don't know what David, it was the time when kings go out to war. It was, he was supposed to be in the battle. He was supposed to be with his men on the field, and he stayed home. And idleness is the devil's workshop. And God gives us responsibility. Let me just say this to every person in this room. God has saved you not just to have you occupy a seat. He has saved you and there is treasure in you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you to be a blank. When he talked to Jeremiah, he said, the prophet to the nations. And he's put treasure in you. It could be a treasure. Who knows what kind of treasure it is. But it is a treasure, and it is to be released in the kingdom of God. And you need to find what that is and knock on some door and say, where can I help? I want to help in the kingdom of God. It's what you were made for. (laughs) Whatever church you're in, you need to find a place, and that responsibility that God settles on your shoulders will help keep you pure. Pure. Because there'll be a measure of honor that begins to come to you as you serve God. He who honors me, I will honor. And young men, especially listen to me, your fuel is honor. And to, to the degree you are missing honor, and to, to the degree you have honor deficits in your life, the, area, the, the sexuality will become inordinately more important in your life, because there's a huge amount of honor released to you in the sexual experience. God designed it to be in marriage. And there is an honor in in walking in purity as a single man. A huge amount of honor released there. That God releases honor to a man who's doing what's right instead of what's easy. There is an honor that you begin to walk in there. But to the degree you're not receiving honor in other areas that you're supposed to be, then there's a temptation that sexuality will begin to be more important than it, was, than it was supposed to be. There's a lot of different areas, honor gateways into a man. There's vocational, there's financial, there's familial, there's personal, there's that achievement and a gifting area, there's spiritual. All those are gateways of honor into the soul of a young man, into people in general, but especially young men and older men. And to the degree we are cut off from that honor, and believe me, there's a spirit in our culture that's saying to men, you're not necessary. There's a spirit in our culture. There's a, a woman's day, and we love women. Who said we didn't love women? There's a, there's, but to the degree we have Homer as the example of men in our culture, as 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 we systematically dishonor men you watch sexuality become inordinately more important than it's supposed to be we're on we're in the middle of this in our culture right now and that the permissible manifestations of maleness in our culture become sexual but the other manifestations of manhood are not welcomed you're gonna see it. We've seen it in other cultures. I've been to Russia 30 times. If you led as a man in that nation, as a man, if, if you walked in that way to lead your family, to speak truth, you would spend time, you would go to the prison camps. And the message was you don't get to be a man, but only one way is permissible. The only permissible expression of manhood is sexual This is why the Russian daughters are world famous as some of the most sensual, the male order brides. They're trafficked all over the world. We saw it in the black culture in the wake of slavery. A knock at midnight and the drunk slave master's son is standing at the door. He looks at the 40-year-old man and he says, I want your 13-year-old daughter tonight. And something had to die in him. If he resisted it, he would be beaten or killed. If he killed that man, his daughter would be raped the next night. It was hell. It was horrible. And something had to die. And the only expression, acceptable expression of manhood was Sexual. And I believe with all my heart, God wants to restore men to be the kind of men. The women's movement was not started by a man. The feminist movement was not started by a a woman. It was started by men who did not love their wives as Christ loved the church. And if they would lay their lives down and serve them and honor them and cherish them and protect them and encourage them, we would see a different culture. And watch it. I'm calling the men tonight to take their place through the story of David. So serve somewhere and watch honor come to you and watch the the temptation diminish. Watch what happens when honor starts coming to you in some areas. Honor starts coming to you in some areas. So evening came, David arose, he went up. He got up from his bed. When David got up from his bed, in the evening, people took baths at night on their rooftops. It would be like David going to a porn site. David knew what he was gonna see up there. Are you kidding? He's gonna go up there and just kinda, I'm serious, it's like, it's like you clicking on that, it's like the second click. You see the ads on the sports stuff, the second click, the 32 shots of this. Or do you see it? You know it's there. How many have done the second click? Come on, real quick. Come on. How many taking taken the second click? Come on. The third click. David knew where he was going. It's not like I don't know where I'm going. He went up on the roof. People are taking baths up there at night. He knew what he was going to see. I'm thinking, David, what are you thinking? He's climbing the stairs, maybe, or he's he's moving from his bed. Maybe his bed's down below. I, I always imagine he's in the he's in the cooler, in the lower, cooler chamber, and it's not exactly clear in the scripture, but he's walking up this stairway up to the roof. And I'm thinking, David, you don't have to go up there. You don't have to go up there, David. Don't go up there. David, stop. You can stop now. You can stop sin at any moment. You can stop it at any moment. Right now, some of you. Or in the middle, there's a stair. You're on the second step. You're on the third. You can stop right now. Come on, at any moment. I'm going, David, wait a minute, don't. Your destiny, you don't understand. And he sees her. He saw a woman bathing. Anybody take that second click? It's there, isn't it? Come on. What can you do? You can click it off right there. You can click it off and say, oh God, I can't believe this. But it was better than the time before. Because you stayed there for 15 minutes. And this time you stayed there for about 30 seconds. And that's a victory. It sounds crazy. It's a victory. And yeah, you're going to have to go talk to your mentor. And say, I did 30 seconds instead of 15 minutes. And I hate myself again. And I hate what I did, and I'm never going to do it again. Because a righteous man falls seven times. And Jesus Christ is worth getting up for. Come on. Come on. 30 seconds versus 15. And it's another month before there's another 15 seconds. I hear the sound of victory. I'm hearing the sound of victory. Because I think God's looking through a lens of our life. John wrote in the Bible, he was the son of thunder that says, Jesus, me and my brother would like to invite you to call down fire on this village. They don't really like what we're saying Calm down now, Uh, guys. These are the zealous ones. Where are my zealous ones? Where are my zealous ones? Come on, where are the young zealous ones? I got fire. And then John, years later, all his friends are dead. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's writing about walking in the light. Walking in the light. It sounds like there's a direction and in, and in the middle of walking, he doesn't talk about sinless perfection. As a matter of fact, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and the truth is not in us. Well, well Pastor Jim, are you advocating sin? No, I'm advocating that, that there is a process of hating evil in our lives and the progress of sin where there's a victory for us. And if we don't quit and keep bringing things to the light, we're going to see victory. And the first step to victory is bringing the things of the darkness into the light and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome the light. And there was a mercy. There was a mercy. You think of the prodigal. He went he, he 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 said he came to his senses and he wished he could eat what the pigs were eating. And he had a speech ready. I'm going to go say to my father, I have sinned in your sights. Let me get this right here. He got up and came to his father. Says he wasted his, squandered his estate with loose living. So it's just what we're talking about, isn't it? And he came to his senses. What a that's mercy. It's mercy. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough to bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to have called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Do you hear the shame in it? Do you hear the resignation I'm never going to get better? I'm just going to go back and be like a slave the Lord did not come for slaves. He came for sons and daughters. Listen to me. He went to his father. He went to his father. That was his speech. He had it all practiced. He went, I read this. I thought, God, this is so cool. I call it the great interruption. He got up and he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Saw him, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is the one that blew all his inheritance. We're my restored ones again, come on. I'm telling you your story. This is your story, but it's everyone else's story. Come on. So his father does that, and he's got his speech, and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's the real story. None of us are. That's what the cross is about. That's what the blood of Jesus is about. That's, that's the truth, that part. So he let him say the truth. None of us are worthy to be called his son. That's what the cross was about. He made us worthy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's where we were made Worthy. But then the great interruption happens. He doesn't let him say the other part. Make me as one of your hired men. Instead he says, get the fatted calf and the sandals and the robe and the ring. We're having a party. David, you're in the stairway. What are you thinking? You saw her. What are you thinking? She's beautiful. Thank you, David. He inquires about her. And he finds out it's one of his guy's wives. One of his mighty men. This is not just sexual betrayal. This is a betrayal of covenant brotherhood. And men, when we marry a woman, we are not saying, I'm pledging myself to you. You are pledging yourself to every other man on the earth Saying, only this woman I marry. Your wives and your daughters are off limits to me. That's the covenant of marriage. We make a covenant with our wives and every other man on the earth that their daughters and their wives are off limits to us. This is true manhood. And Uriah, his man. We're wrapping up here. And David sent messengers. He sent a messenger to go get her. I'm thinking, I wonder how long it took a messenger to go. Think about it. The messenger is going. The messenger is going to David. For David. The messenger. I go, David, you can stop it. Send another messenger and stop the first. I'm done. I don't know what I'm thinking. It could stop right there. It's over. It's over right there. She's standing in front of you. The messenger has brought her. Send her away. Now, it's somebody's daughter. It's somebody's wife. It's a little girl probably that never had their dad say, you're my everything. Those are the girls in the pages of the magazines and on the internet and being trafficked across the earth. The source of it, the, the, the root of sex slavery is a culture that says to little girls, the most important part of who you are is your body. And fathers who didn't take time to fill the heart of daughters and at birth the most dangerous equation in the earth that an empty-hearted daughter plus the power of her sexuality plus a confused young man is the heartache we're, we're dealing with in our world. There's a messenger. You know, there was another time there was a messenger in David's life. He was on a hill with some sheep. And, a, and the Samuel, the prophet, sent a messenger through his son, through his dad, Je- Jesse, saying, you better go get that boy. There was another messenger running toward David. Messengers play an important part in his life. Because there was a time he didn't know what was going on. He just knew his heart was broken because was a rejection. He was just doing his job as a shepherd boy, as a hidden, illegitimate son of Jesse. And there was a messenger from God saying, your destiny is coming. Your destiny is coming. Your destiny is coming. He didn't know. Suddenly the messenger is there. David, come down to the city. They're waiting. See, he didn't know there was a messenger. And he's loosed the messenger. You can stop it, David. Say yes to destiny right now. Right now. Stop it. He takes her and lays with her. He has his sexual encounter with her. The word lay with her is a word that means have sex. It has nothing to do with intimacy. If you ask somebody, were you intimate with her? you would have to say no, I was just having sex with her. Because intimacy is spiritual oneness and soul friendship oneness and physical oneness in marriage. You can't find it anywhere else. People are looking and they'd be smiling. They'd be the frosting people laughing and they're not laughing. They're waiting in line to talk to their pastors and their counselors and for antidepressant medication at the pharmacies. He tries to get David drunk. He tried, David tries to, he calls Uriah in from the battlefield. Just follow the story. I'm trying to follow the story. <laughs> he calls him back from the battle, and isn't it kind of weird? It's like this guy is committed. This guy's thinking, wait a minute. All my brothers are out in the field and my general's in the field. And David says, hey, how's it going, man? And he goes, what? Like, he's looking at David going, what are you doing here and what am I doing here? Because there's a war going on out there. A life and death war for the destiny of God's people. Are you following me? There's a war for the generation right now. Sometimes we gotta say, what are we doing here? And he wants Uriah to take a little time off. Chill time. Enjoy your wife. Sometimes there's some demands gonna be put on us because the time is urgent. Only God's grace can put an urgency in us like that. He said, Uriah, go ahead and go down there. And Uriah's speech, his statement is so amazing. He wants them to go there because he knows if he goes there, he, he wants them to be able to have relations with his wife because then everybody will think it was his kid. You understand? Everybody, we're, we're all grown ups, right? We understand how this works. And he, he doesn't go there. And he says that. The that the ark and Israel are in temporary shelters, and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go to my house and eat and drink to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I won't do this thing. The next night he got him drunk, and even in his drunkenness, there was such a patterned history of commitment and sacrifice, such a patterned history of willingness to suffer for God's cause, to be loyal to him, to God's purposes in the earth, such a patterned history. Even when he was drunk, he wouldn't go and receive the pleasure of intimacy with his wife because he wasn't going to enjoy something that his brothers couldn't enjoy. And David's looking at him going, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? It's like the Spirit of the Lord. I read it and God said to me, David, there's nothing wrong with him. You're looking at who you used to be. Because the reason he was like that is because you, David, put your imprint on him. You put your imprint on him. It was your imprint all those years. David, it's you is what you used to be before you got successful. Listen to me, success will kill you. Because your gifts get you somewhere and your talent gets you somewhere. And even your hard work, but only your character can keep you there. And something was faulty with David. And you look back in his life, I look back, why could David fall? And I look back at the honor deficits. We talked about the honor deficit of that rejection from his parents. Some of you had broken families. You look back, and every place, every one of those deficits is a chance for us to grow in intimacy with God. If we cement that intimacy with God, suddenly we are intimate with God, and he heals us at the same time. If we leave those honor deficit areas unhealed with our parents, They gave away David's first wife, Merab, his first love. How many of you are still dealing with a first love that you had, the first person you gave your purity to? Maybe there's somebody in your gut that's, that's in your spirit. You're married 10 years, it's still in there. You're a single person that's in there, your first love. They gave David's first wife away, Saul's daughter. Must have broke his heart. He was all ready to receive her, and they said they gave her away to somebody Rejection by his parents. And then his adopted spiritual stepdad, Saul, be, tried to kill him. It's kind of a tough life. That's a double whammy. And God wanted to do something with him, though. Every one of those things. How about the disappointment of delay, divine delay, when he got anointed and it was 13 years of waiting. You're waiting for something. There was disappointment. Every one of those things is a chance for David to get close to God. In In intimacy. But if we don't let God heal those, every one of them can say, I wonder, God, did you heal David in this? How could he do this? I thought, I wonder if it's just those honor deficits. Maybe tonight there's some honor deficits in you. Won't we stand together?